How many music lovers, song lovers do we have in the room? It's pretty much universal, right? Different genres maybe, but everybody loves a good song. There's some great quotes out there about the power of music. Any Johnny Depp fans? He's got a quote about music. He says, music touches us emotionally where words alone can't. Bono, any U2 people? A couple, yeah. Music can change the world because it can change people. How about Sound of Music fans? The original real Maria Von Trapp said this, music acts like a magic key to which the most tightly closed heart opens. Now, for those of you who, who aren't good enough with cultural icons, let's go with some theologians here. Some of you are waiting. All right, what do the theologians say? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor in Nazi Germany, said, music will help dissolve your perplexities and purify your character and sensibilities. And in time of care and sorrow, will keep a fountain of joy alive in you. He knew about times of care and sorrow. He was imprisoned in Nazi Germany. Music helped him through. Martin Luther, head of the Reformation. My heart, which is so full to overflowing, has often been solaced and refreshed by music when sick and weary. Why do I start there? Because in Luke chapter 1 today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. You'll remember Mary just got word that she was pregnant with the Savior of the world. Her relative Elizabeth was six months pregnant, and Mary traveled to Elizabeth's house, and you can imagine the joy. I mean, when two pregnant women get together at any time, it's just, wow, man, what's in the water? It's just, it's just so much joy. But when you're talking about the forerunner of the Messiah being in one of their wombs and the Messiah himself being in another, what, what a joyous celebration. When, when Mary got there, it says Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and was just saying all these wonderful things about the Messiah that Mary was to give birth to. What, what a joyous occasion. And two songs were to come out of that. One song from Mary and one song from Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And we're going to look through those songs and we're going to talk about the power of song. When you look at your own life, I'm sure there are songs that, that you look back on, or even if you just hear them on the radio, they're powerful to you because they remind you of a moment in your life, or they speak to a situation you're going through right now. I did one of those Facebook things, you know how they always want to know which character would you be in Star Wars, or, or what kind of animal would you be? I did one this week that said, which song was written about you? And I was pretty impressed. I got, I will survive by Gloria Gaynor. All right. I, I like that. But there are songs in my life that truly, uh, when I hear them, they, they, they speak to me. I'm going to take you through a little song tour. We've got some short audio clips from some songs that have meant a lot to me. And as you hear them, I want you to be thinking about your own song tour through your life, moments that meant a lot to you. And then we'll look at this moment that meant so much to Mary and Zechariah. The first one, every time I hear it, I think about my beloved Ohio State Buckeyes. This one always makes me think about my grandpa's funeral because it was played there and I saw my mom and dad in the front row. My dad had his hands in the air as if to say, 
Jesus, this is one of the hardest things I've ever gone through, but I love you regardless. Every time I think about this one, I think about my first dance with Carolyn at our wedding. Me finding you Someone had a hand in it Long before we ever knew This one always makes me think about the birth of our children because we heard it about 14 times when Carolyn was in labor with Jaden. This one was big when God started tugging us to take our step into the planting of the church next door. This one's always been big at those moments where I feel discouraged. My life just make sense at all. When the mountains look so big, and my faith just seems so small. So hold me, Jesus, cause I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? Last but not least, this one's when the spiritual battle's coming in, but I'm not discouraged. I'm feeling defiant and excited that God's going to do something despite the battle. good to test out those speakers every now and again see what they got some of you don't know what to think of me now it's horrible grammar there ain't nothing I can't do but what he's referring to is Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me I love that when I'm out on a run claiming that promise songs mean a lot you've got your own that you think about in your life Kendra didn't know I was going to call her out this week she was on Facebook this week it's been about 10 years since you got baptized this week and she shared on Facebook that there was a song called Welcome Home that was big around then by Sean Groves. Lyrics she wrote that meant a lot to her. I took the space that you placed in me, redecorated in shades of greed, and I made sure every door stayed locked, every window blocked, and still you knocked. Welcome home. And she said the day she got baptized, she knew it was her favorite song, but nobody in the church really knew that, and they sang it at church the day she got baptized. You guys all have those songs in your life. And what I want us to do today as we look back at this song from Mary and Zechariah is to imagine Luke, the author. You remember last week we read that he set out to create an orderly account, 
uh, so that Theophilus and us today might be certain about the things that we've heard. Luke wrote in the AD 60s, so we're looking about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, and it says that he met with eyewitnesses. Now, we believe that most likely he met with Mary to, to hear what went on in this part, because Zechariah was probably gone by now. Mary in the 60s was probably in her 70s or so. So if you can imagine Luke picking her up in his SUV and taking her down to a Starbucks, you know, they go inside and pick up a pumpkin spice latte. Mary's in her 70s now. And Luke says, hey, tell me, what was going on around the time that uh, Jesus was born? What was that like? What was going on with, with John the Baptist? And she's going to tell him about these two songs, this, this wonderful event, these songs that flowed out of her heart and out of Zechariah's heart. And if you can imagine, just to set the tone, we talked about this a little bit last week. We all know what it is to wait. Not many of us know as a nation what it is to wait 400 years. 400 years of silence preceded this moment where the nation was waiting for the promised savior. And now he was in her womb. So of course it's gonna bubble over. And what I'm gonna do is we're gonna read through Mary's song first, and then we're gonna go back and pull it apart. But I wanna read through it in its entirety because it is a song. So before we dissect it, I want to appreciate it for the joyous explosion that it is. Okay, so let's just read through what she wrote. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Beautiful explosion of joy. Now I want to pull it apart a little bit. A couple of things we'll notice about this. If you know your Old Testament, it sounds an awful lot like Hannah's song of praise to God. Hannah could not have children. She prayed to God. God gave her children. And if you go back to 1 Samuel 2 and read what she wrote, it's very much like this. Also, there's about 12 other Old Testament passages that Mary alludes to. Imagine this, a teenage gal with this kind of knowledge of her, her Bible, essentially. The Bible talks to us about being full of God's word and letting it overflow. That's what's happening here. This young teenage girl is so filled with God's word that as something happens in her current life, God's word just begins to overflow. And that's an encouragement to us. Know God's word so that when you come to those moments of trial or those moments of joy, you know what to say. It, it gives you something to hang on to, to communicate to God. It gives you more than you might have on your own. But she starts out, my soul glorifies the Lord. That's where this song gets its name that you may have heard, the Magnificat. That's the Latin for my soul magnifies or glorifies. It comes from these first words. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. One thing I notice about this is this 
song and Zechariah's, they, they lift God up. The words he has come up at least eight times in Mary's song of praise. He has, he has, he has, he has. And that's a model for us. When we sing praise to God, we want to be thinking about who he is and what he has done. We want to give him the glory. Tim Keller says to glorify someone is to appreciate someone uh, for who they are. Others have talked about giving weight to someone, giving them precedence, lifting them up. And she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. To rejoice means to explode with joy. She is exploding inside because of what God's doing here. Side note, who does she say she rejoices in? God, my savior. Who needs a savior? All of us sinners need a savior. This is proof against those who would say Mary was somehow a perfect being, that she was without sin. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She needed a savior every bit as much as we do. All are with sin. And she was thankful that this savior was coming, that she got to, to carry him. Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. You see what's going on there? She was blown away that God had picked her. This is a humble gal from, from Nazareth, a, a backwoods town, looked down on by the people in big Jerusalem. God, God picked me. And if you're his child this morning, you can have that same sense of, wow, God, you, you chose to work in my life to draw me. You picked me. You've been mindful of the humble state of your servant. She says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Say it simply, when a virgin conceives, it requires a mighty one. <laughs> that mighty one's still at work in our lives. If if J.B. Phillips would say, if you don't believe in that mighty God, he had this great quote, your God is too small. God is a mighty God that calls things that are not as though they are. He's a God for whom nothing is impossible. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. This is beautiful. This touches on us today. This wasn't just for Mary and her crew that lived around that time. This is from generation to generation. All who revere God and, and trust in him, believe in him through Jesus Christ, get to experience this mercy. Mercy, as has been said, is when you don't get what you deserve. We all deserve eternal punishment for our sin. Mercy is a savior coming, taking that upon himself so that we don't have to. These next verses are revolutionary verses. They're verses about the poor being lifted up and the mighty being put aside. They're so re revolutionary that uh, William Temple, who was once the Archbishop of Canterbury, he warned missionaries to India to never read these verses there because the caste system was so strong. Do not read these there because it will cause a riot. Jesus came to turn things upside down. And that's what these verses are about, 51 through 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. Today in America, if you're poor, you can usually do something about it. You can go out and work hard and improve your status in life. It was not that way at this time. If you were poor, 
the common assumption was you're destined to be poor and you can't do anything about it. This verse shows God coming to lift up the poor and the humble and put aside the rich. And you say, who are these rich? Who are these thrones that God has set aside? And, and I thought about it. You know, it's 400 years and a little bit before what Israel had seen was empires come and go. The empires that the world looked at and said, whoa, this is the most powerful thing going right now. They had seen Babylon come and go. They had seen Persia come and go. They had seen Greece come and go. And now Rome was in charge. But watching all those other empires come and go, Israel was still there. And God chose to bring this Messiah through Israel. It's possible that it's also referring to Herod, who was so insecure, if you remember. So insecure about the the Messiah coming. But the Messiah was the one to bring the good gifts to the humble and send the rich away empty. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This part, I think she's blown away. If she knows her history, it was about 2,000 years earlier that God had come to Abraham and said, through you, there will be a blessing that comes to the whole world. 2,000 years and God never forgot his promise. That's encouragement to us. They waited that 400 years of silence at the end of that. Maybe you're going through a period like that too, but God has not forgot. Whatever promise you need to claim from him, he's remembered. That's Mary's song, beautiful explosion of joy. Then we have this narrative section in the middle. John the Baptist is born, kind of a, a big deal. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. She got there when Elizabeth was about six months pregnant and Mary had just gotten pregnant. We believe she probably stayed till John the Baptist was born. It doesn't actually say that, but I don't know why she would stay until right before and then head back home. She probably wanted to see this big moment. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. We don't know how old Elizabeth was, but you remember her husband, Zachariah, said that she was well along in years. So this isn't just any normal birth. This is going to create a stir. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, which was common practice. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Now, interesting in this passage, we knew that Zechariah couldn't talk, but now we see them making signs to him. And they tell us that in the Greek, the same word that can mean mute can also mean deaf. So some believe it makes sense here that he wasn't only mute, he had gone deaf for that whole time because he didn't believe the angel Gabriel. So they're making signs. What do you say, Zechariah? And he wrote on a tablet, his name is John. Now, what I want to point out here is that he started with unbelief. And his belief may have started the moment that he went silent and he couldn't hear. I believe that makes sense. You get a sign like that. Okay, I'll believe you. All right, but look what happens here. When he takes this step of faith, even though his neighbors say and would think, you're crazy. Why pick the name John? We always pick names that go after the father, someone in the family. You're crazy. John, uh, Zechariah takes this step of faith and says his name is John. 
There are moments like that in our lives. Everybody around us says, what you're called by God to do is crazy. You're called to go here, go do this, go say this. No, don't do that. Don't do that. You're nuts. No, God, sometimes we know God has told me this. That's Zechariah. He takes this step of faith and look what happens in verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Here it goes, bubbling over again. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. I love this. God creates this buzz in their town. He did something that only God could do. And the neighbors are like, what is going on here? Zechariah and Elizabeth had a kid. I don't know if they were in their 80s or what, but you can imagine the stir. And I believe in a God who's still in the business of creating a buzz in our neighborhoods today. It may not be the birth of a child to an 80-year-old couple, but when he works in our lives and does things that can't be explained any other way, there's people watching and it starts a buzz. And I want to point out something here. Zachariah, as we mentioned last week, he missed an opportunity to come out and bless the people because he lost his voice. He was supposed to give that priestly blessing over the people when he came out of the temple, but his unbelief cost him. But here we see God's grace and restoration at work because he's about to give us a song that is a huge blessing. And we see this modeled in the Old Testament. You'll remember King David, greatest king Israel ever had, man after God's own heart. And yet he stumbled big time. Adultery, covering up the adultery, lies, and murdering the husband of the woman he had adultery with. And the prophet came and confronted him. And David wrote this beautiful psalm of confession that I think we see reflected in Zechariah's life. And we can see it reflected in ours when we've gone astray. Listen to God's grace and restoration. David says in Psalm 51, 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Restore to me, verse 12, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You see that? A natural response to God's grace and mercy in our lives is for us to sing of his righteousness. Verse 15 in Psalm 51 says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. It's a natural reaction when we appreciate the forgiveness that God has given us. You all remember the old Disney movie, The Little Mermaid? You remember Ariel gave her voice to the evil sea witch, Ursula, so that she could get legs and 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 meet this Prince Eric. She gave away her, her beautiful voice. And I think in the Christian life, sometimes we give away the joy and the song in our hearts when we choose to give our lives to sin, whatever it may be. We give away that joy and that opportunity to bring glory to God through our song when we say yes to things that God said, do not do that. We give away the song in our hearts when we say no to things that God has told us clearly to do. 
in the model of Zechariah, the model of David here is some of us this morning need to repent. We need to turn away from that thing that has robbed the song out of our hearts. You may be sitting here today hearing these songs and saying, I have no song. And one possible reason for each of us when we come to that place is that we're cherishing sin in our heart. The promise of Jesus is that as we claim his forgiveness, turn away from that sin, receive the filling of the spirit, let him have control, that song can return this morning. Some of us need to repent and get our song back. That's what Zechariah did. I want us to read this song and then we're gonna break it down. Verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This explosion of joy, this guy's been quiet for nine months. Now he just explodes, right? It's because the Holy Spirit has filled him again. The sin is gone. He's repented. I want to look at this quickly. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. That word come in Greek literature was often used of a royal visit when the king came to town. That's the picture we get here from God. He has come. The king has come. To redeem someone is to buy them back as, as to buy back a slave from the slave market. I want you. I will take you. I will love you. 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. We don't talk like this anymore. Horn back then meant strength. What they were thinking of was a bull. As one example, where, where's the, the strength of a bull focus? It's all in the horns, right? That's what you're afraid of. My, my dad, <laughs> he comes out to the west from Ohio and he gets a little crazy. We've got a picture of him. You know how you can see cows and bulls walking around around Prescott Valley? He, he, he wants to live life bold. That's one of his uh, life phrases, which I appreciate about my dad. But he got on the other side of a fence with one of those bulls. My brother took a picture of him walking right next to a bull. You won't find me doing that, okay? Because there's a lot of strength in those horns. That's what he's talking about. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. All these Old Testament prophecies said there will be a king in the line of David who will rule forever. That's Jesus. He is that strength. He is that king. Verse 70, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us 
And how many of you know there's two comings of Jesus? Jesus came once. The first time, he delivered us from the enemy within, the sin that had enslaved us. He set us free with his blood when he took that upon himself. Part of this refers to the second coming. Many of those Jews wanted him to kick the Romans out that first time and set up a kingdom on earth. But we know from history that didn't happen. But he is coming eventually, his second coming, and he is going to fix everything that's wrong on this broken planet. And he's going to rule on a literal throne for a thousand years on this earth. And he's going to reign forever in eternity. He will save us from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. And that's a key line there. We've been set free from our sin, set free from our slavery to unrighteousness. But what is it for? Is it so we can go out and live life for me? Build my kingdom? No, Zechariah says the reason we're set free is to serve him in holiness. That means to be set apart in righteousness all of our days. We're set free to serve our master. Now he's going to get to talking about John the Baptist. And I want to point out something here. You remember later on in John the Baptist's ministry, he was so humble. People asked him, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just the best man. The groom is Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. I believe he learned that kind of humility from his parents. Because you remember when Mary came, Elizabeth wasn't like all jealous, like, I only got the forerunner. You got the Messiah. No, she exploded with joy, right? Because of the Messiah was in her presence. And here you see Zechariah, his father, he starts with Jesus. He puts him first. He knows the place of him and his family and his son. John the Baptist knew that place, but he had an important place. He said, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. I look at this and I see a couple important things here. He was gonna let people know they needed salvation, that they needed forgiveness of their sins. And that's what you see him doing with the baptism. It was to basically help people understand that they needed a savior to turn away from their sin. Beautiful words in here. When it talks about the forgiveness of their sins, it's a very picturesque word. The word forgiveness means to take away or send away from. That's what God does with our sins when we come to Jesus. Psalm 103, 12, you may be familiar with. Casting crowns has made it famous again. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. He's going to give them knowledge of salvation. You remember John doing this. Hey, that's the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. Follow him. Remember? He pointed to Jesus. That's why he came. What an awesome, awesome role. And we can appreciate how great John the Baptist is, but there's something Jesus says later that ought to blow all of us away. You think about how awesome John the Baptist is. And I just got to say, we got two deacons with sweet beards that I told them, keep growing those. Because as we talk about John the Baptist, we may have you up, Bill and Randy. Love that beard. If you just get a little honey and locust stuck in there, we could have this great visual. How, how great John the Baptist was coming up here. Justin too, man. Um, preparing the way for the Lord. Listen to what Jesus says. 
Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And then Jesus says something crazy about every one of us who's part of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. He says in verse 28 of Luke 7, I tell you among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Wow, that's you, that, that's me. And it makes me think about things that Jesus said to his disciples. You'll do greater things than I. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. As special as John the Baptist was, the idea we're getting from Jesus and Paul here is that just as he laid out a specific role for him, he's laid out good works for each of us to do in the power of the Spirit. If you came in here feeling worthless this morning, that ought to lift you up. (laughs) You got a job from the, the king of the universe as his children. He goes on in verse 78. We'll close out here. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. The tender mercy of God is the driving force behind his salvation. He loves us. He longs to give us that mercy. And this picture of the rising sun coming to us from heaven gives us this picture that the world was trapped in darkness. It's like a group of people hiking through the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever been out camping and your flashlight dies. Imagine a group of people hiking, hiking, and, and they have no light, and, and there's cliffs around, and, the, and there's wolves, and there's robbers around corners, and you, you can't see. And at that moment, that group is frozen because they, they cannot see. That's the picture of the world, frozen in sin, not knowing where to go, how to deal with this guilt inside. How, where do I go for life and hope and peace? The rising sun from heaven comes to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's what Jesus does. He shows us the way to life and peace. He he frees us from that paralysis. We must choose to follow the light, but we now have the sight to do so in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Two beautiful songs, and I hope you'll take some time to enjoy them more this week. But as we close this morning, I wanna ask you, what's the song in your heart to God? What's overflowing in your life? As Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or wild living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. And here comes some 
some results of being filled with the Spirit. Listen to this. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Paul says, when you're filled with the Spirit, there ought to be a song coming out to God of of joy to him. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What's your song? And what I want to do right now is I want to invite Autumn up here with the worship team. Autumn told me this week, this was beautiful timing. And I'll let you tell the story. She told me that God, God gave her a song this week, a song that overflowed from her heart. And they actually got music set to it just so we can see this doesn't just happen to people 2,000 years ago. It doesn't just happen to Mary and Zechariah. This happens today. Autumn? Perfect timing. Why don't you tell us what happened this week? Uh, So it was about a week ago. um, I was watching Grace Unplugged at like 1030 because that's when us moms do it. What? Um, And so it's a great movie. It's about this young woman who um, is uh, a singer and her and her dad are on the worship team together at church, but she wants to go above just regular worship. You know, she's got a great voice and she wants to push it. And so she leaves home and she goes to California and she wants to just, uh, just do what other people want her to do. You know, she signed up with the contract and so they're wanting to, to, to her, um, to sing things that are inappropriate and she's a Christian. So she's like, Oh, I'm really struggling with this. You know, God, what should I do? And so she ends up coming back to Christ, writing a song. It's fantastic. And so I was like, Oh, this is such an inspirational, uh, uh, movie. And so I was like, all right, time for bed. So it was like 1130 by the time the movie ended, I went to bed and then I was laying there and God's like, Hey, let's have a jam session. That would be fun, right? 1130 at night. Let's do it. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So I wrote this song in like 10 minutes. God's words were just like coming out of my mouth. It was just, I mean, I just couldn't stop writing what he had had me put on paper. And it was just such a great intimate moment between him and I, just him and I just writing the song together and just giving my heart to him because I just love him that much, you know? And so it's a little bit intimidating right now, like going to share it with you guys, because this is the intimacy that I shared with him, and I want to share it with you guys and just how amazing he is. So excuse me, I'm a little nervous, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's it. Be my 
girl could consume me I do Beautiful Jesus, Savior of mine, merciful Father, sweet love Thank you.